Hello and welcome to Prejudice and Pride. I'm Claire Balding and I'll be taking you on a tour of some of the creative, dramatic and surprising histories of National Trust places. 2017 marks the 50th anniversary of the partial decriminalisation of homosexuality in England and Wales. To celebrate the significance of this anniversary, the National Trust is opening up its creaking oak closet and exploring how lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans and queer folk have helped to both shape and preserve the house the collections, the gardens and the landscapes in the Trust's care. I'm so pleased you're joining us for Prejudice and Pride. When we look at homosexuality in the ancient world, it is openly depicted in some ancient cultures and there's no Latin word for homosexuality. That is a modern concept to make a distinction between homosexual and heterosexual people. When Emperor Hadrian ruled ancient Rome from AD 117 to 138 there was nothing unusual about same-sex relations. What was extraordinary was his outpouring of grief over the death of his younger male lover, Antonus. So today, we're looking at queer culture in the ancient world, and to discuss it with me is Head of Interpretation at the British Museum, Stuart Frost. Stuart, could you describe the artefacts you have in the collection at the British Museum that appear to evidence Hadrian's adoration of Antonus? We're fortunate at the British Museum that we have a very large collection and we have a large number of representations of Hadrian and Antonis. So I think what I'll do is focus on the things that are actually on display that people can go and and have a look at. We have at the moment at the museum until the 15th of October a small exhibition called Desire Love Identity, Exploring LGBTQ Histories. And that display features magnificent silver medallion of the Emperor Hadrian. And then facing him, we have a copper alloy coin, dates to AD 130 to 138, so after Antonus's death and before the death of Hadrian. And that coin was issued by a city after Antonus's death to show, I suppose, support for the emperor to win his favour, I suppose. And there are lots of other coins like that in the collection. There are 30 cities from across the Greek-speaking part of the empire that issued those coins. So those coins are testament to the unusual status of Antinous's relationship with Hadrian. And then in the permanent galleries, always on display, there are two spectacular marble busts side by side. And one of those depicts Hadrian. And that dates to Hadrian's reign as emperor, so AD 117 to 138. And alongside Hadrian in the gallery is a larger marble bust of Antonis. Stuart, you said you've recently curated the British Museum's LGBTQ programme. Why are we only now seeing the queer history of artefacts that have been in the collection for hundreds of years? I think there's been work going on in actually museums for quite a while. Over the last 10 or 15 years or so, I think queer history's begun to be addressed more regularly and more frequently. And I think the reasons for the if you like, for that happening relatively late in the history of museums, obviously linked to the legal framework and that, you know, about 1967 and the 50th anniversary that's taking place this year in relation to the decriminalisation of homosexuality. So the legal framework in previous decades made it difficult to address these subjects. And then I think museums have slowly changed from that point onwards. There's obviously been campaigning from the LGBTQ community and... I think from round about 2000 onwards, I think museums and heritage sites generally began to become more active in addressing queer histories. 
Stuart, there's an ancient poem that describes Antonus and Hadrian. We're going to hear it in a second, but can you just give us the context? Hadrian and Antonus were hunting together in Egypt. The hunt was celebrated by a poet called Pancratus, and that poem miraculously has survived, preserved in a papyrus fragment from Egypt. And it's the only document that we do have that survived that places Hadrian and Antonus together. The Lion Hunt And swifter than the horse of Adrastus, which once saved the king as he fled in battle throng, such was the steed whereon Antonus sat in wait for the deadly lion, holding in his left hand the bridle rein, and in his right a spear shod with adamant. First Hadrian, his brass-fitted spear wounded the beast, but slew him not, for of purpose he missed the mark, wishing to test to the full the sureness of aim of his beauteous Antonus, son of the Argus Slayer. Stricken, the beast was yet more aroused, and tore up in his wrath the rough ground with his paws, and dust rising in a cloud dimmed the light of the sun. He raged, even as the wave of the surging sea when Zephyrus is stirred forth after the wind of Strummon. Straight he rushed upon them both, scourging with his tail his haunches and sides, while his eyes beneath his brows flashed dreadful fire and from his ravening jaws the foam showered to the earth as his teeth gnashed within. On his mighty head and shaggy neck the hair stood bristling. On his limbs it was bushy as trees, and on his back it was like wetted spear points. In such wise he came against the glorious god upon Antinous, like Typhius of old against Zeus. Slayer, of giants. And to conclude this series of Prejudice and Pride, EJ is out and proud on a ramble along Hadrian's Wall with some locals discovering queer heritage in the great outdoors. I'm here in the Northumberland National Park on a sunny and breezy day on a pilgrimage to explore the link between Hadrian's Wall, the most magnificent and best preserved of the Roman Empire's great frontiers, and ancient LGBTQ history. Work began around 122 AD. It took six years to build and stretched from the east coast to the west coast of England. The wall was built with the might of 15,000 Roman soldiers, but it's now widely acknowledged that Hadrian was enamoured with one soldier in particular. His name was Antonus, and to put it in modern terms, Hadrian was very much out about it. When Antonus drowned in the Nile River in mysterious circumstances, Hadrian grieved publicly and made a deity of him. Many then adopted him as their god. Evidence of his deep feelings for Antonus still flood the world today in the shape of marble busts of his likeness, and it is thought that more representations of Antonus survive than any other figure from ancient history. I've got two experts from the National Trust joining me on my exploration today, General Manager Andrew Pode and Robin Brown, Associate Director of Operations in the North. Hello, Robin. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Andrew, tell me how long have you been working here? I have been working on Hadrian's Wall for the National Trust for 26 years and I did two years before that with Northumberland National Park here on the wall. Well then I think that makes you the expert somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you could tell us what we're looking at. Well we're stood here in Peel Gap and there's a stretch of wall here that the National Trust excavated in the 1980s. First of all we can see 
three stages of wall here. There's, there's a, a broad foundation, which is 10 feet wide, and that was the original specification for Hadrian's Wall. The wall in is about 8 foot 6, and we think that, that by the time the soldiers started building the wall at Newcastle and worked their way west, so by the time they got to where we are now, we're in wall mile 39, they'd reduced the width of the wall to speed the building process up. So this wall here is Hadrian's original wall. The wall was 80 Roman miles, which is 78 of our miles. Robin, it's interesting to hear that Hadrian's Wall draws a line between freedom and protection. As a member of the local LGBTQ community here, what does it mean to you to stand by it? For me, standing in the landscape, standing here and kind of, you've got that sort of tantalising view to the north and we're standing on the south. Well, if we went north over there, we'd fall down a very steep cliff. So there's edge, there's danger, but it's freedom. It's room to breathe. It's just getting out and being able to just have space to think, to be, to walk, just exist. And this was actually a meeting point. It was somewhere where a very diverse population actually congregated and coexisted. So for me, it's about the freedom of being in community and outdoors. What was the purpose of the wall, Angie? Well, Hadrian had been a general in the army before becoming emperor. He was a Philhellenic, which means he loved everything about Greece and Greek culture. And in Greece, in the peninsulas on the Greek mainland, in ancient Greek times, they had built walls across peninsulas. So possibly that inspired him to build a wall across what is a very long, thin island, a bit like a peninsula. And that may have been the inspiration to choose a wall because the wall didn't just go across Britain. It went from the mouth of the Rhine, down the Rhine, and then across to the Danube at Regensburg. So Hadrian's Wall, the World Heritage Site that we now, it's now 30 years old, covers that whole distance. And in Germany, the most available material was timber. So it was an earth bank with a timber palisade. But as you can see around us here, we're surrounded by rock and stone. So in Britain, they chose stone as the building material, which is why we've got so much of it left, really. So it marks the edge of the Roman Empire. Hadrian's Wall definitely brought people together. It brought the people who were already living here closer to a new culture and gave them access to a much wider world than they had before. But, of course, the Roman Empire had more unsavoury aspects to it. It had slavery on quite a grand scale and many of those people here were here unwillingly as slaves. People were also being enslaved in the local population as well and carted off to other parts of the empire. So it wasn't all good. Why is it important that we acknowledge the queer history of the wall? It's really important to acknowledge the queer history of the wall because we have become so uptight we're becoming less uptight, which is fantastic. So the history of Hadrian and Antinous is just brilliant. I don't know how closeted he was, but actually this is a real emblem. This is the furthest reach of the Roman Empire and the Roman Emperor who happened to be queer. Yes, this is a fantastic emblem of actually live and let live. Do many people know this story? No, incredibly. This was under our noses. We knew about it, but we kind of forgot about it. And then you start thinking, actually, 
and it's a brilliant story. There was a coin minted with Antonus's face on it, which is really neat. Hadrian was married and had kids because I think that's what the emperor had to do, but he also had this person whom he obviously really adored and cherished, and he immortalised. God knows what his wife's name was. Haven't a clue what his kids were called, but Antonus really lives on. Now, that is real love. And the diversity here on the wall in every sense of the word diversity, it was phenomenal. To live here today, it doesn't feel very diverse. It's very white, heterosexual, Christian, whichever form of diversity you look at. But Hadrian's Wall in the Roman times was probably like London is today. It was just phenomenally diverse. And we've forgotten that and we need to celebrate that. Robin, how do you use the space? The outdoors for me is my kind of mindfulness. It's my sanity, it's my soothe, it's connecting with the past but looking out into the future. And does it have specific resonance because you know that there's LGBTQ history attached to it? Yeah. I've worked for the National Trust for coming up to 20 years. When I first joined, I was very, very aware of it being a very conservative organisation and I lived very closeted. I wasn't with a partner and so I deliberately was completely closeted, completely in. I just felt I must be diplomatic. So I didn't live true to myself. Because of the way the world has developed, this country hopefully leading the way, but because the world has developed and because the trust with Prejudice and Pride this year just makes me think, hang on a minute, it's time to really just chill out and be yourself. So for me, coming to Hadrian's Wall, it's kind of a homecoming. It's somewhere where I can be myself as an openly gay woman, and that is just brilliant. Honestly, I just have to touch it. It means so much to me, just the idea that I can be queer in the outdoors and own space and be part of history, and it's just overwhelming. So, hello, wall. You feel stone warm to me, not stone cold. <laughs> We're heading away from the wall now. Robin and Andrew are taking me to see a very famous tree. Where are we now? OK, so we're at Sycamore Gap, the iconic sycamore tree, which is actually a seedling. It just rooted there right on the edge of the wall years ago, and it is the most photographed tree probably in the country. It won Tree of the Year this year, which is fantastic. And it's kind of... What I love about it is green, organic, next to the wall, and we're, it's in a U-shaped valley. And it's kind of out there, and it's proud, and it's just great. And what's happening to it, marking the celebration? So we are going to, as we get towards dusk in October, we're going to light it in a rainbow flag to celebrate this fantastic year. And it'll be rainbow for a while, and then it's going to dissolve into purple. Why is it turning purple? Because this year is the 1900th anniversary of Hadrian's ascending to the purple, i.e. ascending to be emperor and that's what's so incredibly important, that the whole thing about Prejudice and Pride is that we're rooting it in spirit of place, we're rooting it in real life stories, and we're actually out and proud of real stories. Thanks both for talking to me so passionately and eloquently. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure too. Thank you. The evidence of Hadrian's relationship with Antonus 
is remarkable in its own right, but also for the fresh perspective it gives us on ancient history. It shows that it's not only now, in the 21st century, that we're approaching freedom and equality for LGBTQ people in the UK. It's been here before. But like this incredible monument of Hadrian's Wall, it's fragile. LGBTQ rights need protecting in law, in culture, in our communities. Because when they're not, the consequences are devastating. In many places around the world today, LGBTQ people still face prejudice and violence, many paying for their queerness with their lives. Hopefully, as we look to the future, we can be part of the era that helped to build a world that both respects and celebrates LGBTQ people and their culture. And when people look back upon our century, we can only hope that they will see prejudice against LGBTQ communities around the world disappearing and being replaced with pride. Thank you for listening to Prejudice and Pride. To hear more in the series, search for Prejudice and Pride in your podcast app or do have a look at the National Trust website. Prejudice and Pride was produced by Anna Lee for the National Trust. It was presented by Claire Balding and EJ Scott. The readers were Miriam Margulies and Cyril Linry. 